You're listening to an AI Introducer podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to the Inside China podcast. My name is Holly Chick. I'm the science reporter for the South China Morning Post here in Hong Kong. And as you might have already guessed, this week we're talking about generative artificial intelligence, or you might know it as AI chatbots like ChatGPT. Almost exactly two months ago, we brought you an episode talking about how people in mainland China were using VPNs to access ChatGPT, and how China's big tech companies were racing to catch up. And it didn't take too long. Our February episode talked about the arrival of the first AI chatbot from Baidu, known as Wenxin Yian in Chinese, and known in English as Ernie. Oh, hi, Ernie. Fast forward to this week, and there's been a series of announcements from China's big tech companies. One of China's largest AI companies is SenseTime. On Monday, it released its version of ChatGPT, known as SenseChat. One day later, Alibaba, the parent company for the South China Morning Post, released its chatbot product, known as Tongyi Qianwen which translates as truth from a thousand questions. We've also heard from e-commerce giant JD.com that it plans to release its own ChatGPT-style product later this year. And a company called 360 Security Technology is advertising for people to come and test its product, known as 360 Smart Brain. And there was another major announcement in Beijing this week. China's Cybersecurity Administration released draft regulations for the use of ChatGPT-style products. And that's something we're going to talk about in depth in the next episode of this podcast. Because while China's big tech companies are all trying to match OpenAI and ChatGPT, the Western world is clamoring to find out the possibilities that ChatGPT has to offer and asking questions about how people will use this technology. Here's how to use AI, like ChatGPT and BARD, for everyday tasks like creating a budget, finding airfare, or planning meals. I let ChatGPT plan my holiday. This is what happened. ChatGPT is the hottest new job skill that can help you get hired. ChatGPT can write sermons. Religious leaders don't know how to feel about it. Who says romance is dead? Couples are using ChatGPT to write their wedding vows. Don't play poker with ChatGPT. The future of music theater and ChatGPT. Just to recap, there are five countries in the world where ChatGPT is not available. North Korea, Syria, Iran, Cuba, and China. Back in February, you might remember we found out there were thousands of people in mainland China using VPNs to access ChatGPT. Since then, our colleagues in Beijing have confirmed there's been a concerted effort to shut down these VPNs and limit access to it. But here in Hong Kong, which is officially known as the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region of the People's Republic of China, we operate under something called One Country, Two Systems, which allows Hong Kong to retain its economic and political systems from the British colonial era until the year 2047. That also means we continue to enjoy free access to the World Wide Web, to YouTube, Google, Facebook, 
to iTunes and Spotify. But interestingly, not to ChatGPT. Well, not officially. We've emailed the OpenAI media contact asking why it's not available. We've contacted the OpenAI team through their help form. And yes, we even consulted ChatGPT for an answer as to why it's not available here in Hong Kong. And it didn't really have an answer. This morning, Professor Shen Dong, the Secretary for the Hong Kong Government's Innovation, Technology and Industry Bureau, had this to say. For Hong Kong, since OpenAI has not officially opened the access for ChatGPT in the city, and considering the potential information security concerns from ChatGPT, the government has no plan to make ChatGPT an application for use within the government. But if you think that means no one else in Hong Kong is using ChatGPT, you vastly underestimate the Lion Rock spirit and the culture of free market competition here. Yesterday, an online brokerage firm called Tiger Brokers announced it was testing and preparing to release Tiger GPT, declaring it to be the finance industry's first AI investment assistant. And don't forget, this is a city where preschool kids have to undergo entrance exams, where children spend all day in classes, then go home and spend hours at night with after-school tutors. The global discussion about ChatGPT and its implication for students has been followed very closely in Hong Kong. More than half of college students believe using ChatGPT to complete assignments is cheating. A student used ChatGPT to get top grades on a college essay. AI literacy might be ChatGPT's biggest lesson for schools. How ChatGPT and similar AI will disrupt education. So while the Hong Kong government waits and watches, Hong Kongers are eagerly adopting ChatGPT to change how they work. Oscar Liu is a reporter on a Hong Kong city desk and has been reporting on how ChatGPT is being received in Hong Kong. Oscar, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Let me start by pointing out a really interesting aspect of your stories. You've spoken to people in universities and businesses about how they're using ChatGPT. But can I just clarify with you, is ChatGPT available in Hong Kong? Okay, first thing first, uh, ChatGPT is still not available in the city because you need to access it uh, by having a VPN as well as uh, foreign phone numbers for identification. And people access it mainly through other apps that embed with the chatbot, ChatGPT. For me, I have an Apple iPhone. So uh, there's an app called Poe, developed by Cora, which is a startup uh, in the US, which is a answering question platform. So the Poe app already built in three chatbots themselves. And in February, ChatGPT was included. So I pretty much access ChatGPT through the Poe app. Oscar, can you take us through some of the people you've spoken to and how they're using it? What did you find? Uh, so the story idea started when a friend casually talked about a lawyer trainee friend of his uh, who has been using ChatGPT to draft legal documents and clients' correspondence. I was like so shocked. Because A, at the very beginning, before I looked into the whole thing, I thought it was just a chatbot where you can talk to it when you're bored. B, lawyer professionals. And C, they are usually very good in English. So why was he gravitate to use the tool? So that's my initial questions. And the whole story series started. So a lawyer is using ChatGPT. 
Tell us more. It turns out he is a very busy lawyer trainee uh, who juggles between like talking to clients, drafting documents, drafting correspondence. So it turns out he used ChatGPT to help him save time on those drafting and researching work. So because it can generate things so fast after simply typing some key points, then he simply makes some changes to the generated content. However, it's still new, so he didn't want to be named. So I totally respect and understand that. Is there any indication that other training lawyers are also using it? I think after people see how people in the legal industry use it, uh, some other people may tempt to try. Oscar, you also talked to some other people who are using ChatGPT. Can you tell us more? Oh, sure. One guy called Simon Wong, who is a very prominent uh, catering sector leader who owns like 50-ish restaurants in the city. He's very good at interacting with customers. So uh, he has his Facebook page uh, showing on the menu so uh, people can access to him via social media. One day I looked into his Facebook page. He's been talking about I'm using ChatGBT as my social media manager to respond to uh, questions from customers who pop in a message from the messenger. I was very curious why a catering industry leader would use technology to engage with his customer. So what is Simon's experience with ChatGPT? He told me at first he tried ChatGPT, he just keyed in his name, who is Simon Wong? And the ChatGPT gave him some very irrelevant and fictional answers. So he further researched and narrowed down the question or the instruction he asked the chatbot to do. And then uh, be my social media manager. So now a customer reached out to me through Facebook Messenger asking these questions. Can you draft some appropriate answer for me to answer him? That's how he started. Was that all done in Chinese? Yeah, yeah, they're all in Chinese. He vividly told me like a random resident popped him a message asking, oh, is your restaurant hiring anyone? He asked ChatGPT to give some very standardized answer. Like, oh, you can always come to our restaurants to ask for vacancy. Uh, you can talk to our staff directly. And then uh, we are happy to offer you uh, a job opportunities when there is a vacancy available. A very standardized answer, but like it saves him time to reply in person. But one thing he pointed out is that he still need to be the gatekeeper. So he find it very convenient, but still he need to be very careful of what ChatGPT generated towards a question. There's been comment pieces and analysis pieces all over the world about how ChatGPT will affect education, especially things like essays. You went and spoke to different universities here in Hong Kong. How are they responding? It's been interesting to see different reactions from uh, different universities in the city. So when everyone talked about ChatGPT over social media and on the news coverage, University of Hong Kong was the first to announce banning students from using chatbots or AI tools for their courseworks. Otherwise, it would be treated as cheating and plagiarism. And then Hong Kong Baptist University, my alma mater, was the second one to place a ban for students to use them. Then the technology minister spoke up that it would establish a task force looking into it without saying anything about regulations or bans. Just a very casual statement. We'll look into it, we'll do some research kind of stuff. But 
The University of Science and Technology, as well as the Chinese University, were the first two allowing staff to set guidelines and rules to navigate how students use chatbots. But still, there are strict guidelines for students to use them under authorizations. Otherwise, they will face consequences. Let's just recap what Oscar just said. Two major universities threaten their students with punishment if they use ChatGPT, and there are two other major universities that says it's okay. We're embracing it, but we need to use it with guidelines. Still, there's no overall policy to this. Holly, that's interesting because I went to a AI forum at the Baptist University where、uh, a lot of scholars from all the universities in Hong Kong attended. They express the importance of embracing technologies. Funny enough, because some of them are from the school which bans students from using ChatGPT, but on the other hand, they said they embrace it. You, we need to look into the benefit of it and the future.、Uh, one professor I remember vividly is saying, like,、uh, in the context of education, ChatGPT is where the student know how to ask question. Or to give instruction to generate the best answer instead of asking AI do things for them. Well, that's a good point that the professor made there, because the focus is on teaching students to ask AI the right questions instead of asking it to finish our homework. He also mentioned I don't even bother students to give me the best answer because you can get answers from anywhere from Google, from chatbots, but. Asking question is a very key learning curve for students to develop properly as a student. Well, yeah, that was about universities, but what about high schools? So I came across a secondary school student who is preparing for his、uh, DSE exam、uh, next year. DSE exam is an exam determine whether you can go to college. He told me I don't need ChatGPT to do my homework because I cannot. Bring my phone to the examination hall. So instead, I asked him to give me like twenty multiple choice grammar questions at the SE level, and then the chatbot generates in a minute. So he was so happy. I don't need to ask my mom to give me money to buy extra exercise book because I have ChatGPT. So I find it interesting because like everyone assumes students would use the chatbot for assisting their homework, but some of them may use it smartly to assist their learning. When that has huge implications on the tutoring industry in Hong Kong, some private tutors in the city may find some creative way to create exercise for the students as well. So who knows what ChatGPT can do more? So before you go, let's circle back to the start of this、um, interview, and we said ChatGPT is not officially available in Hong Kong yet. Do we know why? I have no idea. I'm actually very keen to find out why they are not available in Hong Kong and when they will be accessible for the city. Especially when all other chatbots are announcing their launch from Google, from Alibaba, from Baidu. So I think it's it would be a very interesting topic to follow up. Thank you, Oscar. We'll follow your stories on SCMP.com. Thank you so much. So ChatGPT can be more than a tool for students to cheat and plagiarize, but what about the teachers? We found one who's helping to lead the way in using AI in the classroom. Hi, I'm Rob Anderson, and I am an English teacher at a secondary school here in Hong Kong. Rob, can you tell us how this has changed your job as a teacher? Well, I guess it's changed my job in two ways. The first way would be kind of like the administrative dealings. 
I get hundreds of emails a day and I want to respond to all of them because that can be overwhelming. So I've been able to use AI to help me write those emails more professionally and quicker. So it's helping you to respond to emails that you otherwise wouldn't have the time to respond to. And what's the second way? How else are chatbots changing your job? The second part is just in my planning. And I'll give you an example. Like I could be doing an activity or a lesson to do. Uh, I teach the same lesson four times in one day, basically. And if I need to make changes in between classes, it can be really tough because there's a lot of, you know, action going on in the school and you don't, you don't necessarily have time to sit down and, and do your reflecting in between classes. So a lot of that used to happen at the end of the day, whereas now I can use AI to help me differentiate instruction for like specific needs for different types of learners. And I can do that within five minutes or maybe sometimes even less. I can just like take the assignment that I'm working on, put it into an AI chatbot and, and ask it to make changes based on the needs of the learners in this next specific class. So it's been really helpful in that way. Uh, now, sometimes I can kind of think of that stuff on my own and I might come up with three or four options, but I can ask the AI to give me 20 good options that maybe I wouldn't have thought about. And within a short amount of time, I can select the best ones that would suit the needs of my students. So you're using an AI chatbot to tailor your teaching plans for individual students. Is that right? Yeah, so that's what we try to do as educators anyways. We all have different styles of learning, so we want to be able to reach each of those uh, students. That's called differentiation when we're, when we're in our instruction. And so sometimes, you know, when I'm planning, I can kind of go to my go-to assignments or my uh, different styles, I guess you could say, or different ways to, to teach it. Whereas now I have so many more options at my fingertips, literally. Just with a click of a button, if something's not working, I can ask it to give me a different plan. I usually have to do a few, a little bit of tweaking, but for the most part, it saves me a lot of time. Do your students know that you're using ChatGPT to prepare your lessons? What do they say about it? They do. And uh, actually, I've used uh, multiple different platforms of AI in the classroom. So, you know, I'm an English teacher. So we did like a novel study. And part of that is teaching a reading strategy like visualizing and visualization. I'll give you an example. We, I'll have them find descriptive writing within the novel and have them talk about what image they see. What does the character look like? What does the setting look like? And that sort of thing. Right. And then what I'll have them do is take the actual quotations and put into to something like a text-to-image AI generator, and then they get to compare and contrast what their idea of the writing was, what their visualization was, compared to what the robot does, for lack of better words. And it's fun. They, you know, the kids love it, right? And that, that's how it actually started in my class, and that's the first time I dipped my toes into the uh, AI pool, I guess. And uh, everything has happened so fast, so quickly. Within each week, something new was happening. Each week there'd be a new tool. And even today, like I use something called CuriPod that uh, helps with presentations. And it's just really, it's really fascinating. It's really great. I think there's a lot of great teaching tools uh, that we have to learn about. Well, that's really interesting because we haven't been hearing a lot about this. Instead, we've been hearing a lot about how this technology would mean the end of English essay writing or how all the students would just use it to cheat. Yeah, obviously. There's two sides to this, you know, and I teach 
kids in junior high. Part of that is inquiry-based learning. And so anyone that's used AI knows that it's really about how you ask the questions and what you're trying to get from the tool itself. And kids need to be taught how to do that. Otherwise, you get them in front of it and they're like typing in knock-knock jokes, you know. They're not using it to its abilities, you know. They're using it for laughs. Cheating is obviously a problem, but it's happening now without it. And it doesn't take too much to know when someone's passing in something that they didn't write, you know, but to discard it is almost like you feel like those math teachers, I don't know, 100 years ago talking about when the calculator was built. It's coming. It's not it's not going anywhere. So we have to adapt. And I think that good teachers know this. And, and, and that's what education is all about. It has to adapt. Rob, I'm also curious, what kind of conversations are you having with colleagues about using AI in a classroom? Are you talking about it with other teachers? Uh, yes, uh, mostly when we have department meetings. I teach grade seven in my, uh, I guess you could say teaching partner in grade eight. We talk about it on a daily basis because we use it to help us with anything from, you know, like I said earlier, plans or even writing comments if we wanted to like rephrase instead of writing the same thing that we kind of go to or things that we're comfortable with. We use it to make our work a little bit stronger. And we do talk about that balance of like, do we show the kids how you can write an essay with one of these things? Like we're still kind of navigating that those waters on AI. I, I know for a fact that some of the teachers that I've worked with disagree with it completely and think that it's going to ruin creativity because I guess the worry is, is that we're not teaching people to come up with any original thought. But I find I'm a creative person and I, I find uh, creative ways to use these tools. I, I think that's where we kind of differ. But um, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some debate about it. I know uh, I was talking to a math teacher today that was happy that she doesn't have to kind of worry about this yet. But <laughs> I think that it's going to be more beneficial than it will be a hindrance. And I, I can't sit here and tell you what the university or college five paragraph essay is going to look like in five years, but it's going to be different. It's going to have to adapt. You know, the main skills are still there. The original thought is in the things like thesis statements, taking a position, having an opinion about something. AI can just help them, you know, formulate, uh, you know, uh, communicate these ideas a little bit better. We're already using these things. We're already using Grammarly in school. We're already using translators in school. Like kids that are learning English as a second language in my class have been using technology to help them write for as long as I've been a teacher. This is just another tool, I think. But as far as things like good research goes and organizing a solid argument, those skills are still present. We're just, you know, finding new ways to get there. You just mentioned ESL, English as a Second Language. ChatGPT has been pitched as a technology that can be really useful for ESL students because it can help summarize and simplify complicated texts. Have you used that function or seen your students using that? Absolutely. Um, so I've seen that in my own practice as a grad student. And I've seen that in the classroom as well when we have like really high end vocabulary and we need to. Uh, well, that's one of the tools that I've done. I have had it summarize text in a lower uh, level vocabulary so that those students can access it. You know, this isn't a new idea either. There's lots of websites out there I can think of 
like news and levels that will have the same news story written in a different lexile level. So yeah, it, this is something that we can use and it's also something that we can customize for any kind of works. And as a grad student in university, a full-time teacher, new dad, and I've got eight articles that are all 50 pages plus that I need to synthesize and compare, I can't do it. I don't have the time. So what do I do? I simplify it with these programs. I can ask it to give me table charts. I can engage with the material in a different way. And I think engaging with the material in a different way doesn't mean it's like, like it's cheating, you know, I'm still, I can still defend my position and my interpretation, my knowledge of the topics presented in each one of those papers, just as good as if I had the time to sit down and read them all. So I think, I think that's, that's one of the benefits for sure. Um, I, I think you can, I'm pretty happy about AI, but I don't want to let this interview go without saying proceed with caution. Like teachers that I know they're using it aren't just like throwing it out there. We're spending a lot of time, hours learning the software ourselves. And when we see opportunity that can help our students, that's when we're implementing it in the classroom. So, you know, we're all in different strides in this. And I think that proceeding with caution is uh, kind of a big philosophy, I guess, when it comes to this. The University of Hong Kong has temporarily banned students from using ChatGPT until they can figure out a long-term policy. What do you think about this? I would say that they are not alone in that hesitation. Founders of, of these companies like Elon Musk and you know engineers that produce this software that are calling for a similar pause until you figure out exactly what it can be used for. I mean, I'm thinking of this in a positive and most optimistic way as a school teacher, but I have a good heart in mind and good intentions in mind. So my concern when it comes to this sort of thing is, you know, how can it be used in a more corrupt or unethical way? And so, yeah, developing ethics behind it, for sure. They're not alone in that. And they probably know more than I do about it. So ChatGPT is being used by students, by teachers, by trainee lawyers, by catering industry leaders, and who knows who else? But let's get back to a much bigger question. What are the rules of using AI? And more importantly, who writes the rules? China, the US and the EU have all been drafting rules for how artificial intelligence should be used ethically but they are all a bit different. This week, both China and the US made announcements on policies to regulate generative AI. Does this mean we're going to end up with two types of rules that govern AI? I think the US and countries around the world, they have to develop their own relationship to AI and have to govern it in a way that actually benefits their populations and that's deployed in a safe way. And I think China, in a lot of ways, is is doing that in relation to their own government's goals. We might not like those goals, but they're not afraid to regulate something for the sake of what they want their country to look like domestically. That's Matt Sheehan from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. His research focuses on China's artificial intelligence ecosystem, the future of Chinese technology policy, and the role of technology in China's political economy. And he's got a lot to say about China and the U.S. regulating AI. You can hear him in our next episode of Inside China. 
My name is Holly Chick. See you in the episode two of our Inside China AI special.